Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come true light, come life eternal, come hidden mystery, come treasure without name, come reality beyond all words, come person beyond all understanding, come rejoicing without end, come light that knows no evening, come unfailing expectation of the saved, come the raising of the fallen, come the resurrection of the dead. Come all powerful, for unceasingly you create refashion and change all things by your will alone. Come for your name fills our hearts with longing and is ever on our lips. Yet you are, and what your nature is, we cannot say or know. Come my breath and my life. Come the consolation of my soul. Come my joy, my glory, my endless delight. Come Holy Spirit. You are welcome here. Amen. Amen. Before you're seated, would you stay standing with me as we take this moment to consecrate our time together for each of us individually to walk through a time of consecration before the Lord. If you feel so comfortable just emphasizing these areas that we will be uh, consecrating together uh, to reinforce the, uh, the reality of that consecration. Join me. Lord, we consecrate ourselves to you. We consecrate our mind to you, that we would be fixed on you all day. Lord, we consecrate our eyes to you, that we would see you at work in us and through us and around us, we consecrate our nose to you, O Lord, that sin would smell like death, that life would be experienced in faith and the aroma of Christ present. Lord, we consecrate our ears to you, that we would hear you and respond in faith to you. We consecrate our mouths to you, O Lord, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good and, Lord, that the words we speak would be words of life. We consecrate our hands to you, O Lord, to serve you in all things and that through us you would serve others. We consecrate our feet to you, O Lord, that as you lead, we will follow. Where you go, we will be. Lord, we consecrate our lives to you to be a holy and living sacrifice set apart for your good glory in all things. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, we took some time just now to ask the Holy Spirit's presence, recognizing that the Lord says he'll never leave us or forsake us. We know that that is absolutely true. At the same time, we want to be tender to the movement of God in our lives and the Spirit uh, that may be convicting, may be regenerating, may be calling us to himself, maybe empowering us for service, and we want to be tender and sensitive to him. Additionally, we consecrated ourselves, saying that the whole reason, the whole purpose for our being is set apart for him. There are all these things we could do and could be a part of, but we are consecrating ourselves, limiting ourselves from those other things to uh, his goodwill and pleasure. That's the purpose. John Quincy Adams might say it like this, duty is ours, but results are God's. In other words, we have a responsibility 
to do what the scriptures tell us to do, but God has a responsibility for the results. That's, that's on him. So we are coming together today to lay things before the Lord and allow him to have his work done today. Uh, can you amen that? Amen. 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 All right. I believe this with all my heart that today there may be some people who will hear the gospel in such a way that uh, the Holy Spirit will bring new life. <clears throat> I believe that there, there may be some people today who have surrendered to Christ perhaps long ago, but you've been living in the world, and today may be that day of turning away from that and turning to Christ. Today might also be a day where you, you, ha, you have been surrendered to Christ, and, and you want to be used by Christ, and today might be that day of saying, yep, and today is the day. I, I am about Christ's business. All of the stuff I could be doing. I am narrowing it to focus on Christ. Now, I say that, and I want to be very clear that you can be a pastor and do that. You can be a missionary and do that. You, you can also be a teacher and do that, an electrician and do that. Like God wants us uh, completely and wholeheartedly, and we can do that wherever our vocation is. So, with that in mind, <clears throat> we are going to be in Romans chapter uh, 10 today. And as you're turning to Romans chapter 10, I want to start at the beginning because this, this has been kind of a long series. Now, when I say I'm starting at the beginning, I, I actually mean I'm starting at the beginning, not the beginning of Romans, uh, but the beginning of the Bible. And you're thinking, how long is this sermon going to be? Uh, hang in there with me. We're going to start at the beginning because in the beginning, something happens that is significant and profound. It is the creation account. It is where God puts things in order. He creates this world, and on this world are animals and plants, and above those animals and plants are people, and these people are supposed to steward this world that God has uniquely given, but, uh, but God reigns above the people. And so though there is this relationship with God that we see in the garden at creation, it is very clear that the creation is under the Creator. In other words, there is a right order, and we see that right order from the very beginning, God's plan. Additionally, we see Adam and Eve nearly immediately respond in a way that messes up the order. So if it's this, that God is over creation, Adam and Eve say, wait, it's not enough to be with God. We want to be like God, and in doing so, they put themselves above God. And this has been the order of the flesh or the order of the world ever since. It's been a bondage that we have had things out of order. And so we, we need to get things in order. But to get things in order, we need what the Bible would refer to as justice, R real justice, biblical justice justice. That justice might be different than the kind of justice you may be thinking. Sometimes when we think of justice, we think of, uh, okay, so you go, you, you go to court, uh, you have broken a law that is against the state, the state responds, and there is a penalty and jail time. And though uh, that, that, that can be a part of this ultimate uh, discussion on justice, that is not the primary part. The, there are two words that are used for justice in the Old Testament. 
also translated other ways, but I want to talk about those because they're going to give us framework for this Romans chapter 10 that we're going to jump into. And so with this idea that we need justice, we need to be rightly ordered, we're going to look at two words immediately. And the first word is this one. It's mishpah. Mishpat. Mishpat is a Hebrew word that means reorder. So put things back the way they were supposed to be. If you're thinking about it in relationship to our judicial system, you might think of it in terms of a civil trial as opposed to, uh, 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 as opposed to the, a trial where the, uh, the judge would rule and you would go to jail for that ruling. A civil trial would rather be about restoration. So there may be money involved, restitution involved, but ultimately it's getting things back in the right order. And that's what God is calling us to. He's going to put things back in this right order. We've put ourselves at the top, but that's not the right order. And God has something different in mind, and that, that requires mishpat, the right order, justice, actual justice, biblical justice. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But to do that, we need to talk about uh, the next Hebrew term. Tzedakah. Tzedakah. It's a fun word if you want to say it. Go right ahead. Uh, tzedakah. And actually, it, it means justice, but it also means righteousness. It's the word that's often used for righteousness. It's kind of a unique thing in, that, in the Hebrew culture, certainly in the first century. It, it was used to talk about um, a benevolence as an example. So, they would have a box that they would call their tzedakah box. And this righteousness or justice box, people would take money and they would place it in that box. The money would go to those who are less fortunate. Now, when I say less fortunate, you might think that I mean someone who doesn't have enough money, who maybe there's more month than money and so bills are, it's, it's tough living. Sometimes they go without but that's not what I mean. Uh, what I mean by that, less fortunate in the first century, is that they were going to die without someone from the outside coming in and helping them. They perhaps didn't have a place to stay. They perhaps didn't have food. Uh, they perhaps didn't have uh, the ability to, to earn a wage. And so, these tzedakah boxes were very helpful and important in ancient Israel for people to live. Look at the picture. There is someone who is going to die without someone else's generosity, their goodness, the overflow of who they are investing in them that they could have life. They will die without that. That is the picture that we see in this justice that we're talking about. On the one hand, a reordering. God is placed back on top. That is justice. God rightly ruling in the order of things that he has called us to and given to us to do. And then the other side of justice, that there is this amazing God who paid a price that his righteousness would be given to us, those of us who are going to die without that life extended to us. Tzedakah. That's important. But also, uh, how, do, how do I get it? Like, that's great. 
that justice is necessary, and how. How do we get there? Well, oftentimes, especially in Romans and Romans chapter 10 in particular, we, we, we may see uh, clearly the passage is speaking of Jesus. See him, he's very clear there. We may even imply the, that the, the Father has sent him and this is the Father's plan, but we often don't see the role of the Holy Spirit in this, in this bringing of justice putting things back in the right order of extending his righteousness to those who would die without him. But the Holy Spirit is absolutely present in this, and I would say implied uh, in this passage. And so uh, let me give us some, uh, a, a little bit more direction in terms of who the Holy Spirit is. First of all, the Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. He's not the force. You know, like, the Holy Spirit be with you. That's not, nope, we're not using uh, the term like we would use the force as an impersonal uh, uh, thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. He. He is a part of the Trinity uh, to be worshipped just like the Father, just like the Son, but he also has specific roles within the Trinity, and I want to identify them because they they are necessary and needed as we move forward into this passage. The first one is this. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. Have you ever spoken to somebody and you're telling them right from wrong and they look at you and even agree with you and you know that you know that you know they're going to turn around and do the same thing they've been doing? Like, it doesn't matter. Uh, because it turns out we don't convict people. The Holy Spirit does. And we need the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Uh, I'll give you an example. On November 1st, 1991, is the day that I surrendered to Christ. But something unique happened that day. And that is that I was sorry for many ways, in many ways, and for different reasons. But I was sorry. I was sorry in ways that I, I hadn't been before. This, this pastor talked about uh, salvation. And he talked about this holy God and the necessity of perfection for this holy God. And if we miss the mark, that's called sin. And that sin earns us a place in eternal separation from God. And when he said that, something sparked in my heart. And I like that phrase. There was a spark in my heart that hadn't been there before. And all of a sudden, I realized that if the God of the universe was in my present presence right now, if I saw him face to face as I'm seeing you, as you're seeing me, what would be the response? And the response of that holy God would be, depart from me, I never knew you. But I had gone to church before, but I didn't know this holy God, and I had sinned against him. And on that day was the first time I realized that sin was not just uh, against my brother who I was picking on and being mean to. It wasn't against my parents who I had lied to. Uh, it wasn't against my uh, friend, my girlfriend who I had deceived. It wasn't, it wasn't just against them. It was against the Holy God. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit worked in a way that was convicting because that's what he does. John 16, 8 and 9 says, And when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. We absolutely need the work of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, 
we are debating with one another and we are communicating things that maybe isn't right or true. Said the sinner's prayer. But without the Holy Spirit, it was just a prayer. With the Holy Spirit, that can be new life and beautiful. And in fact, new life is exactly what the Holy Spirit gives. In John 3, 5 through 6, we see this uh, regeneration that is unique to the work of the Spirit. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, that's the first birth, right? The water breaks, a baby is born, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that's the first birth, and the second one And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, we need the Holy Spirit's work to be born of the Spirit. It's not something I can manufacture, and it's not something you can manufacture. That is the work of God and the Spirit in particular. So so much so that in 2 Corinthians 5.17, we are called new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. And that's significant. Additionally, the Holy Spirit seals believers I'll explain what that means in just a moment, but in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Being sealed was a significant and understood term in the ancient world, and in Rome in particular. When a letter was sent out, it would be sealed, and they would have an insignet ring. That insignet ring would often be dipped in the wax. When someone saw it, they would go, oh, that's a sealer, Caesar's seal. So whatever is contained in this document is as if uh, Caesar is telling us this. This document, in other words, belongs to Caesar. It was seen in another way, and maybe a more contemporary term would be branding. So they would take that seal and they would brand their animals with that so that when people saw that animal, there was no question, that animal belongs to so-and-so who carries that seal. To be sealed by the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of an inheritance that we have. We belong to God, all of us, completely. Additionally, the Holy Spirit empowers Gives us power. We certainly see that from, uh, uh, from Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. That they will receive power as they go out. But also we see in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Just very practical and specific. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Against such things there is no law. Um, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the tasks that God gives us to do. Uh, And so there are times when we say things like this, I just can't do it anymore. I'm so tired. And you're right. You can't do it anymore. You're so tired. And the Holy Spirit can. He empowers us for holy living, for right living, to get things in the right order, not just in the right order, that as we receive this gift from God, that we also are able to give to others. The Holy Spirit is is not just necessary. He is implied in this passage because without him, there is no spiritual birth. I like the way one theologian said it. He, He said it this way. Without the Holy Spirit, 
God is far away. Christ stays in the past. The gospel is a dead letter. The church is simply an organization, authority, a matter of dominion, mission, a matter of propaganda. The work of the people is no more than an evocation, Christian living, a slave morality, but in the Holy Spirit. So without the Holy Spirit, that is how, how we exist. That is what church looks like. That is our relationship with God. But in the Holy Spirit, the cosmos is resurrected and grows with the birth pangs of the kingdom. The risen Christ is there. The gospel is the power of life. The church shows forth the life of the Trinity. Authority is a liberating service. Mission is a Pentecost. The work of the people is both memorial and, anticip and, and anticipation. Human action is deified because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Wow. Friends, we need the Holy Spirit. We need his work here today. I believe that there may be some here today who it could be the first time you call on the name of the Lord. Praise God. For others of you today, it could be this time of you've been trapped in sin and death. Yeah, you, you know that you know that the Spirit of God convicted you, that he indwells you, that you've been born again, but you've been stuck living in the flesh. And today might be that day where we turn away from that and turn back to God could also be a day where you mark a line in the sand and say, yep, I've done all of these other things, but I'm about God's business. And whether you're an electrician or a teacher or a pastor or a plumber or whatever, God has a plan for you and wants to use you in those places again for his glory. So with that in mind, let's turn to Romans chapter 10. That's the introduction. Wait till we get going now. <laughs> Oh, boy. Uh, we're in Romans chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 4. And we're going to walk through it together as we understand some of the terms that have just been communicated and as we understand the Spirit in whom we have life and breath. This first section, the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, remembering that without Jesus, without the work of the cross, Without his death and resurrection, we are dead in our sins. There is no life available to us. I can't do enough good things. I can't generate enough uh, uh, good works to offer it to God. I can't be born in the right home. I can't go to the right church. None of that, uh, or rather all of that, is insufficient to give me life. I need the righteousness of God. And from the overflow of God, he shows up in the flesh. From the overflow of God, he shows up in the flesh and lives a perfect life modeling what faith and the kingdom of God looks like. Going to the cross, he makes an offer for me, for my sins. Taking my place. And in doing so, as I come into faith, he puts things back in the right order and offers grace to me that I could have life. Here we go. Verse 4. Christ is the culmination. Oh, here, I'll give it to you. Oh, yeah, I need to say something. Uh, I'm really sorry. Um, here, so here's what happened. 
Uh, we generally use the English Standard Version, ESV. That's what we generally use, and that's what I, I prefer to use. Uh, <laughs> but this week when we were making slides, I quick went to where I always go that is always set on ESV, and it was not ESV. And I saw that this morning. So uh, this is not the ESV um, uh, standard that we normally use. So if you're looking in your Bible and you're like, what's going on? Did we change stuff? No, we didn't change stuff. Kenny just messed up. So here we go. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Keeping in mind that this initially is being discussed as a matter of nationality, right? Like there's this Jewish people and the Jewish people that exist have existed for a long time. And God, this God of heaven, this unique God who is distinct and different, who is everywhere but also specifically in Jerusalem, is their God, this national God. And what is happening based on prophecies of the past and the work of Christ uh, and and then, of course, how the Spirit is working in the church, there is a transformation, and they're starting to see that these Gentiles, these people outside of the nation of Israel, are suddenly getting saved. And so, though they may have had this nationality, this Greek nationality as an example, and had leaned into Zeus as their God and had sacrificed to Zeus, they now have the opportunity to, uh, to have this God of Israel as their God, and that this God of Israel has given his righteousness, his justice, and even paid for this group of people if they would respond. Now, that's, that's how this starts. But we're also going to recognize that this isn't, a, this isn't just about nationalities. This is also about the individual and the response the individual has. Verse 5. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does, not, who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. By the way, this quote uh, comes from Deuteronomy 13. In Deuteronomy 30, or I'm sorry, I said 13. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 14. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 14, that continues on, and it says, not just uh, the word is, or it is in your mouth and in your heart, but also so that you can do it. God is with you. His words are with you in such a way that they are in your mouth that you confess them. They are in your heart that you can believe them so that you can do them. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. I should just identify a couple of things here. First of all, that idea of faith in this particular passage is, is often used to mean like... Um, uh, the, the content of belief. It's not just like, oh, I have faith that this, this will be good or I'll have a great day or whatever it is. This, this is a faith that means a content of belief. And, uh, continuing on, that we proclaim. This term is used, there's another term used we'll get to in a moment. It has the idea of a herald. You know what a herald is? 
not like Uncle Harold, different. Uh, a herald is someone who would get a proclamation uh, from the king, and then they would go out into these regions, and in these regions, they would blow a horn. People would come together, and they'd get out this proclamation, and they would read the proclamation. And whatever was said by the herald is as if the king is saying it because it's the, the king's words, and it applies to everybody who hears. And, and so this idea, this content of belief is being proclaimed, is being heralded. Now, that, that, uh, that imagery probably doesn't really connect with us really well. So let me use a different imagery that maybe is more helpful. And that's your mail, mail carrier. Oh, think about your mail carrier. They show up with the mail every day. Rain, sleet, snow, sunshine, whatever. They show up, right? Uh, and they just deliver the mail. What did I say? Did I say something goofy? I probably did. Oh, right, right, right. Gotcha. Pretend like it still works. <laughs> but what did the mail carrier do in those days, right? They, they would show up and they just, they just would deliver the mail. It didn't matter if you were sick or not feeling good. Like he didn't go, oh, Mary has a bill, but she's not been doing very, I'll save it for when she gets better. They didn't do that. They also didn't do this. Oh, it's a birthday card. It's clearly a birthday card. But you know what? Every time I show up to deliver mail to this person, they leave their stupid dog out, and he always attacks me, and uh, so I'm not going to deliver this to them. Can't do that. Nope. They have the mail, and they deliver the mail. They can't open the mail, and they can't change the mail. They simply deliver the mail. And that is the call here. We have the gospel that we deliver, and that's what our job is. We just deliver it. Now, we can do it graciously, and we can do it kindly. We can do it lovingly, but we have to deliver it, and we can't change it. Uh, we can't wait for another day. Oh, I, I hope maybe someday you'll be ready to hear it. Guess what? That's the Holy Spirit's job. We just choose to be faithful, and that's what uh, Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8. The word is near you. It's in your mouth. Uh, it's in your heart. Let's keep going. Maybe. On your mark, I set, keep going. There we go. The importance of confessing faith in Jesus Christ. The, the term uh, confess or declare in some translations is pretty important. It means to say the same thing. We're saying what is already true. So here it is. If you declare or confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, this is an important phrase for a lot of reasons, but one of those reasons is this, that in Rome, guess what they were supposed to say? Caesar is Lord. They're going against the flow here. No, Jesus is Lord. Also, there was a, a heretical movement, by the way, uh, when, when you think of the term heresy, always think limiting God. That's what a heresy is. It's limiting God. So the heresies that were starting to come out were limiting God. Okay, maybe he's uh, more man than God. Like he's fully man, kind of God. Uh, maybe on the other side, uh, he's fully God, not really man, just kind of appeared that way. So the fact that Paul is saying 
believe in your heart. So we confess with our mouth. We know, we're saying what is true. We're saying the same thing God knows to be true. And we believe in our heart. We trust. We know that God raised him from the dead. He is fully God. He is fully man. You will be saved. From what? Where are you saved from? Sometimes I, I, I hear people say a variety of things. Like I got saved so that my life would be good. Uh, that, that's actually not why we're saved. Bad things are still happening. Um, what are, so what are we saved from? Well, we're saved from God's wrath. That's what we're saved from. What is the wrath of God? Eternal separation from God. It's a place where the Bible calls hell. It's eternal separation. Jesus describes it by saying it's a place of great weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sounds awful. I hope none of us ever experience that place, but it is a real place, and that is what we are saved from because it is in that place that we experience the total wrath from God because of his absence from our lives. What are we saved from? What are we saved to? We're we're saved to a relationship with God. All of these things that we, that we have identified that we have been sealed or branded for, for God, that we have this new life, that this new life is dedicated for him and to him, we are saved uh, to him. Not saved so that our lives will be better. It's going to be easy peasy, lemon squeezy. That's not it. That's not why we were saved. That's not why Jesus went to the cross. The fact is, it may get tough. It may get really tough. It may be really hard. And at the same time, we have this amazing hope, this hope that indwells us, this God that indwells us and gives us life. Why didn't anybody tell me I didn't have the verses up there? I blame everyone else, not me. I'm the victim. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, Let's keep going. Verse 10. For it is with your heart that you believe or trust and are justified. It's just as if you haven't, hadn't sinned. Things are being reordered. That's what happens at the salvation. You, you are saved and uh, it is with your heart that you can believe. You know that you know that you know because there is a transformation. Before this, your heart is desperately wicked above all things. It is stone. Nothing gets in there. A transformation occurs, and you have a heart of flesh that is tender and able to respond to God, and you are justified, and things are reordered, and it is with your mouth that you proclaim or confess that your faith, uh, confess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. And that is such an important phrase there because, again, it used to be we're thinking Jew and Gentile no more. Lord, the the same Lord is Lord of all. And that harkens back to a daily prayer that Paul would have said. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, now, when we say the Lord is one, we're not just referring to the Trinity, though that is true. We're also referring to the fact that he is primary. He is over everything, not just everything, but everyone. God is control and over. Therefore, 
everyone is to worship him. He is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Three, the call to believe and be saved in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that is absolutely true, everyone. Jew or Gentile, everyone. Uh, What about people who live in the north? Yep. And people who live in the south? Yep. How about the ones in the east? Yep. And the ones in the west? Yep. Uh, Everyone. And that's a great thing about that uh, Greek word. Everyone actually means everyone. There's no distinction. We recognize that. And the importance of preaching the message of salvation. Uh, We'll start in verse 14 and just go ahead and go through 17. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? That seems like a reasonable question, right? Uh, how will they believe if they've never heard of this Jesus? Uh, how will they believe if, if no one has ever told them? How can they hear without someone preaching or proclaiming, heralding this message to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? That's a key word. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to underline that word, sent. Is an important word. Uh, that word is in the verb form. The noun form would be a, a, a word you would be a little bit more uh, comfortable with or, or understand. As it's been Anglicanized, it, it would be apostle. The sent ones in the noun form. Here, they are sent out. This word that's being used is also a word that Jesus uses in John 16 about the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is sent out. That the Holy Spirit is sent out. And for all who receive him, to those who call on his name, he would give the right to be called children of God. Not being born of the flesh, but being born of the Spirit. And those who are born of the Spirit are going out and proclaiming. Because how will people know unless they hear? And who will say it? You will, and I will. Let's continue on. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. Again, getting back to the national identity. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Lord, who has believed our message? Recognizing that not everyone in Israel received Jesus as their Savior, uh, Uh, So it's not about national identity. So verse 17, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, the message of the gospel. We're sinners and need a savior. I can't save myself. Jesus is the one who saves when he came in the flesh, died on the cross for our sins, conquered sin and death, and extends life to anybody who would call on him. And the message is heard through the word about or of or concerning Christ. It's that message. What will we do with it? Where where do we go from here? How do we get there? Well, as I said earlier, uh, this this could be a call for you for a first time of hearing the gospel and responding to it, but only if the Spirit of God is at work. Otherwise, that's not uh, being born again. God's righteousness extended in the person of Jesus Christ, paying something that I couldn't afford 
that I was dead in and of myself. As I receive that, God's justice is rightly ordered where he's in control and God over all. Repentance is needed. I'm turning from my sin. And maybe for the first time there's a conviction of sin that in the past is just the way we lived life. Nope, that sin put my Jesus on the cross. And we confess that. We're saying what God already knows to be true. And we enter into faith by trusting him. I trust you, Lord. You can save in ways that nobody else can. You are Lord. You have risen from the dead. And it requires the receiving of this gift. This gift of eternal life. It's your response. And you get to, uh, as you walk with the Spirit of God, you, you get to make some decisions. Will you yield to him? Will you get things in the right order or not? As we prepare for communion and as the worship team comes, I want to go through a few questions together. Have I truly believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And am I living my life in accordance with his will? If you were in the presence of God Almighty and you could see him face to face, would you have the assurance of salvation? And know that you know that you know uh, that you've, you, you're born again. Two, am I sharing the message of salvation with others and being intentional about proclaiming the gospel? Am I heralding this message? Am I proclaiming it? Or am I changing it and trying to do things that suit my situation? If that is the case, or if we're not proclaiming it, then three, have I repented of my failure to share the gospel and committed to being a faithful witness for Jesus Christ. If that's you, there may be some work to do here today, and I want to encourage you to do it. If you're saying today, I, I, want, I want to know that I know that I've received Jesus as my Savior, I'm going to be in the very back, right in the very back of the worship center. Uh, I would love to talk to you about it. If you're saying, I know that I'm not, and I want that, I'm going to be in the back and let's talk. As we prepare our hearts for communion, communion is for the follower of Christ, those who have been born again. And that there is a, a command in 1 Corinthians to examine our hearts. And so that's what we do as we gather. Is there any unconfessed sin? Confess it. Repent and turn to Christ. And then you're free to get up and to go to the station nearest you and get both the bread and the cup as we continue in worship together. Uh, and, and then I'll come back up and we'll participate together. So again, you don't have to be a member of Friendship Church, but you do have to be a member of the church by receiving Christ as your Savior, the church at large by receiving Christ as your Savior. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we love you and we need you. And Holy Spirit, we, we ask for your work here today. That you would do that which you do, convict of sin, rejuvenate, regenerate, make us new. Lord, brand us for your glory, that we would carry your mark on us. And Lord, that you would empower us for holy living. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.